Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I am so happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, those of you who have been listening know that Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. And we discuss a variety of topics, ranging from love to politics to money to business to writing and beyond, because the human experience is wide and varied. And I know that you have a lot to share with us as well. So we don't want to just talk at you for the next hour. I want you to feel free to participate, to engage, and I want to hear from you. So get your questions and your comments ready, because in the second half of the show, we'll be taking calls from our audience. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows exploring life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel and has grown onto its own platform, but we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. So we want to give a big shout-out to Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are only here because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout-out to my guest on the January 26th show, Kalani Chapman Sr., writer, tattoo artist, entrepreneur, and founder of the Billion Dollar Blueprint Movement. You can connect with Kalani Chapman at his websites, choppastylepublishing.com and billiondollarblueprint.com. That's billiondollarblueprint.com. Or on Facebook and Instagram at Hitachi Chaparasi. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Kalani shared some insights into how we can stay focused to reach our goals no matter what the obstacles. And I know everybody's got obstacles out there. Everybody's got challenges. I do think that you will be inspired listening to Kalani speak. And you can get to that replay by visiting somewhere in the middle at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle radio and checking out the on-demand shows. You can look for that January 26th show. You can also find our complete show archives, including that January 26th show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Now, I also want to give a shout out to Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is such an important message. We have to share it with the kids especially, but not just the kids. I mean, all of us have genius. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your education. Everyone is a genius in some way, and you should share your gifts with the world. The world needs your genius. So learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I am really pleased to have my guest on tonight. He is a talented poet, and I think you'll enjoy meeting him as much as I did. 37-year-old William Carroll is a native of Los Angeles 
and he grew up at Beer, Big Bear Lake, which I've heard a great deal about and haven't had a chance to get to yet. So I also want to hear about the lake from him, <laughs> that whole area. He's an Army veteran with three years of active duty, five years of reserve duty, including one tour of Iraq in 2016. William Carroll is a graduate of Azusa Pacific University with a BA in English Literature and is currently pursuing his Master's in Theological Studies at Azusa Pacific University, where he's due to graduate in May of this year. William is also the creator of Best to Forget Art and Poetry and Selected Poems, Fragments and Rudiments, 1998 to 2010, both of which are available on Amazon.com. So I would like to welcome Mr. William Carroll to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, Will, for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Michelle. Well, you know, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit uh, during this uh, during this show because you are a native uh, Angelino, and I'm new to the area, so I always like to... Uh, pick the brains of folks who know how things work here, but you already know that I asked two questions to start off an interview. You kind of cheated and got my questions ahead of time. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and ask, because I do think they lead right into what you're doing and why why you're doing it. So here are the two questions. William Carroll, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Well, um, well, considering those two questions, I, now I did cheat a little bit, and I, I let my mind go as far as to the introduction to my response, but I, I really didn't uh, cheat too much. I didn't really plan out my answer after that. It just, the questions reminded me of, there was a, a, a sergeant first class um, that while I was in the Army, he was in the uh, platoon um, he was in first platoon, and I, I was in a fire support platoon. But he had this uh, behavior where uh, different soldiers would walk by, and he'd, he'd stop them, and he'd ask them, "Hey, who are you?" And you know, they're usually these hmm. lower-ranked guys, uh, these enlisted guys, and they'd stop him and be like, uh, "I'm, I'm Private So and So." And he said, "I didn't ask what your name was. I asked, who are you?" And because uh, hmm. he was hoping. Yeah, he was hoping for the response, you know, I'm a U.S. Army soldier. Um, so then that's about where my premeditation on this uh, question stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to – I – I, you know, well – okay, so obviously the O's and the ums are, are coming. I, I have tried to identify myself um, – Throughout my life, I think that part of the reason I joined the Army when I was um, I was a little older, I was 24, uh, turning 25, was because I was looking at a sense of identity. Um, I, I was raised in a, a home where, you know, my dad wasn't there um, from the age of five until I, I did live with him for a short time during my teenage years. And that that led me to a place where I ca- I kind of felt like I didn't really um, have a full idea of what it means to like be 
be a man, you know, or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like I've constantly thought, um, thought that throughout my life. Um, and one of the large influences in my life, because my dad wasn't there, was, was my mom. And she was, um, very much into, um, art with painting and, expressing herself that way. So I think I, I was able to kind of pick up on those threads and, and want to be a creative person myself. Um, so I think that, that, that conflict within me of having this idea of, um, well, yes, I want to be a creative individual and what does that look like and how do I establish myself as, um, as a man in society um, without having the the fatherly role to to guide me, um, led me down uh, so many different paths. When I was about seventeen, I I became a Christian, and that and you know that was a really relieving sort of period in my life where um, you know I'm still a Christian today, but I've mm-hmm. had my ups and downs throughout that, and. I think part of the reason why is because I, I've always kind of looked to understand what the role of uh, family is because when I, after becoming a Christian, I saw these much more stable families around me, whereas before uh, I had not. And it, it, it has always kind of left me with this feeling. And if, if um, you look at the, the book that I have, uh, the selected poems and fragments, it's really a lot of it is dealing with, um, you know, my sense of, uh, my sense of identity that doesn't quite uh, match up with what I felt like any, anyone that I felt romantically involved with or toward um, like my own expectation of that relationship and my role in it. Um, I didn't know how to uh, enter into the stability portion of what a relationship looks like. Um, And so uh, with that kind of inner turmoil, I I looked towards different, you know, fatherly figures throughout my life. And that's, I, I believe that's a big part of the reason why I eventually found myself in the army, uh, you know, looking for that kind of structure that I had been missing. Um, so those are a lot of, I guess, things that have led me to this point. Uh, currently being at Azusa Pacific University and studying for my master's in theology um, is because I've carried my faith throughout all of it and, and had so many different um, being of an analytical mind, I've had so many different uh, influences and like, oh, well, this is how God is and how God works. And um, from within the religion itself and from outside, from other religions of um, ideas of deity. And um, so I seeking to understand that while also throughout my, my youth, knowing that I had like a certain intellectual capacity, uh, I felt like, well, I should, go to college you know that's something I, I should do and so part of part of me still has I guess uh, 
an inner conflict of what I want to do is express myself create creatively, and that's why I still write poetry. And I actually do uh, draw. Uh, I use charcoal as a medium. So a part of me is definitely has like this burning desire to be an artist, um, while another part of me, I, I want to have my curiosity satisfied and intellectual pursuit. And um, so I think, you know, who who I am really uh, un, unfolds itself or unlocks itself in that, and the answer being, you know, it's it's in that creative space that I, I find myself and it's whether it be as a student or um, when I'm sitting in front of an easel or uh, writing on the pages of my book, I, um, that, that's how I, how I find myself. You hit on a lot of themes. And so I don't know if I mentioned this to you, what I do is I listen to what you have to say in answer to those two questions. And then I kind of look at what you say and, and, and pick up on themes that I think are important. And one of them, um, you mentioned growing up without your father from age five and living with him for a short time. And that may be contributing to you feeling like you, you, what I think I heard if I, and let me know if I didn't hear this correctly, feeling like it led you to search for father figures and, and people to help you uh, establish your identity as a man in our society. And along with that, um, maybe pose some challenges in developing stable relationships because you hadn't seen uh, stable families and stable relationships around you. So I'm curious, what do you mean by stable families or stable relationships and how did that differ from what you saw growing up? Well, um, without, you know, um, maybe going too too much into, like, well, I'll, I'll go as far as I can. Um, okay. My, my, home, my home life as a teenage adolescent years was pretty, there was a lot of turmoil, um, e- emotional, um, from just what, what I was doing and, like, the, you know, the influence that, my my sister had on me because she was a year older, so she started experimentation with the the party scene and that kind of lifestyle right before I would have, and so she mm. kind of led me into into that. And without having a, a disciplinary figure for when I was going uh, sideways, um, I we just kind of went off the rails into that type of lifestyle with you know smoking pot and. Uh, drinking and uh, you know I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 12 and my mom you know even though she she loved us very much and that has has done and still does everything to prove that to us um, she just wasn't capable of um, having a, a watchful eye at all times because she had to work you know to make ends meet I, I don't think she was receiving any kind of child support and if it ever was it was some kind of minimal token that uh, my dad would probably give her once in a while, but, um, but, you know, and she had, she had several relationships while I was growing up and, and being a kid, you don't understand that she's just looking for, um, you know, companionship, but, you know, from my 
<clears throat> child perspective, I'm like, who are these jerks that my mom's hanging out with? You know? <laughs> I don't like these guys around. And um, so that, so when I, after um, I, I came to faith um, and I started attending a church, there, there were so many families that had that, the nuclear family, you know, the mom, the dad, the couple brothers and sisters, and they all behaved in, in ways that were really, they were very much involved in each other's lives in these um, in supportive ways that seemed kind of picturesque and almost like, not, not a, oppressive to me, but like, like I, I, it helped, it made me realize, oh, this is what a family looks like, whereas before family was more of this concept of uh, whether it be, you know, um, the dysfunction at home or just your your group of friends and your homies or whatever, you know, like we were we were all pretty tight because we all, you know, drank together and we were all um, too young to be doing that. So we all kind of had each other's back to make sure, you know, none of us were getting into too deep of trouble. Um, so that's that's kind of what I mean. That, that It was such a huge contrast for me to see that, um, that the family lifestyle that was more concerned and more supportive and, and, and not just because they were more loving, but because they just had a better or, well, subjectively uh, more planned out, you know, what seemed to me a better way of doing it. You mean their interaction? Their interaction was was more... Um, pause. I don't want to. Say, I don't know if pause is the right word that I'm picking up on here. But I mean, do you mean that the way that they interacted was different? Yeah, like you know, having dinner around family table while you know one of the daughters is baking some kind of dessert and the mom's cooking and the dad's you know reading with his sons. You know, the whole the whole interaction of a family being not just. Um, the people that you put up with when you go home, but actually like these, like a little community um, where they were sharing each other's lives um, and, and their like talents and gifts with each other. And, and to be honest, you know, part of it's, um, you know, my, my own fault, you know, being a kid and being naive, I don't blame myself too much, but there are definitely times where I could have appreciated the sacrifices that my mom had made more she cooked for us all the time and sometimes we wouldn't even show up for dinner um which would you know sometimes my sister and I we would just disappear for days at a time growing up in Big Bear it wasn't like um it wasn't like you were out there in the middle of downtown somewhere you you were just over at a friend's house um so it seemed okay but really you know we put my mom in a constant state of uh stress that was unwarranted so tell me about Big Bear, because I, I hear a lot about it. And so is it like a lake community, or what, what exactly is it? Well, I, I think the microcosm of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting place because you have um, your community that lives there. And, of course, you have your classes. Uh, you know, your, your lower social income and your higher, and then you have a whole separate class of people and two two separate classes, I would even uh, venture to say, because 
you have the class of um, people that are um, like they own homes there and they're there maybe for the entire summer and parts of the winter, but they don't, they're never really a part of the community in the, in the strong sense. Mm. And then you have the, the weekend visitors that show up for, you know, once or twice a year. And of course they're not a part of the community, but there's an influx of them every weekend and they're, they're personalities that you have to have kind of um, grow to acknowledge and understand. So, so as far as the social aspect goes, it was, it's very unique, uh, very unique place where um, there, if, if you live there and you know each other, then you're pretty tight. But anybody that's kind of outside, you're like, oh, man, I wish they'd go away because they're going to go away anyway. And uh, yeah, it's really kind of close-knit. But I, I always had my understanding of Big Bear has um, it's it's a beautiful place. Um, I tell people, you know, that I, I I grew up in Big Bear, and they're like, "Oh man, you're so lucky." And um, and, and in a lot of ways, I was because it's a it's a beautiful place. You know, I, my backyard was the San Bernardino National Forest. Um, wow. I, I, yeah, it's you know, it's it, any anywhere that you live up there, you just go for five minutes in one direction and you're hiking in the middle of this beautiful nature and uh, the lake is always close by. I can skip stones for, you know, through water for days uh, just from all my hours at the lake. But uh, it, it's also, um, you know, but I, I didn't grow up, you know, my, my mom was really poor. We were on welfare. We were collecting food stamps. And so there's a part of it too where I didn't quite, you know, I didn't have all the opportunities that were available um, for for anyone that's in the lower socioeconomic class, and I always mm-hmm. have this like like this dual um, problem where it was um, I, I was the, the kid that you know I I didn't have to study to ace the test. I I took my um my the standardized testing to so they can place like what percentile you are in the national ranking or whatever. And I was like always in like the 95 percentile. And I, you know, I, I didn't really have to try to, to get there. Um, Mm -hmm. So what, what ended up occurring for me was that, you know, you have the people that my family were, the social class that my family was, was of the lower class. And most of those parents are involved with, you know, drugs or, um, they're they're not really taking care of their kids. The kids are taking care of themselves and making their poor choices. And that's, you know, my group of friends is kind of in that group. But you know, my my intelligence always kind of like I would peek out into these other classes of people because um, every every year, you know, you'd, you'd meet a few new people and um, he, the parents that were there for their children, whether they were of uh, um, whatever grade of intelligence they were, they they had a, a foundational understanding of the world and knowledge, and um, I would be able to like uh, impress certain people with things that I knew. So, but once they, I remember distinctly going to this one kid's house. He was um, the son of a, a, a doctor. And we played video games, and then at the end of the night, his parents came home, and they're like, "Hey, you know, we don't want you having him around. Oh, we can't wow. invite him because you know I have long hair, ripped jeans. You know, I was the dirty <laughs> kid. You know, I was a 
I was a, a rebel. And um, so that, that happened to me quite a few times where it was like, uh, it was just this, as you grow up and you realize that, oh, I'm not of that class. But then I'm also like this really smart kid that is hanging out with people that really don't care about education. You know, they just want to, uh, whatever they want to do, they want to get high or they're, they want to um, go party for the weekend or whatever. And that's like, you know, I'd always have to resolve into that, um, that social group, which I, I guess it didn't bother me much as a kid because I, you know, I was, you know, naive, but that's kind of, that's kind of like the image that Big Bear always holds for me is that just that clear distinction between people who have done well and that's why they're there versus people mm-hmm. who, um, cause you can go up to Big Bear and, and rent a house or buy a house for a million dollars. And you can also go up there and live off $350 a month in an old cabin. So the, the middle class is um, very, there's, there's not much of one. It's all very, and even the middle class from a lower social standard seems uh, much higher than it might to, to others. Wow. So there's a huge stratification of wealth there is what I'm hearing. And that, that causes, that causes, um, class the classism comes out i i believe it it did for me during um my educational those those formative years but you know i i'm not exactly sure how it's it's playing out now for those kids um mm-hmm. this is back in 1990 to 1998 you know the high school middle school high school years and um the i I think if I were to live up there now, it would it would probably seem a, a bit different. But the economy itself is really um, it's based on tourism. So if you're not part of a, a construction crew or a tourism crew, then you're you know you're working at um, it's it, it's very much like anywhere else in in those senses. Like you 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 grow up, you get a job, and you kind of settle into like what your income uh, provides for you. Um, but I think it's when you're when you're in those like in the high school years and um and well, somebody I heard recently said there there was something about a school mascot. Well anyway, um that they had to change a mascot because one of the names when it was pluralized sounded like a bad word and I guess the principal <laughs> decided, Okay, yeah, we'll change the mascot because, you know, kids they can be creatively cruel. And yeah. um yeah, so I, you know, so I'm, I'm. Most of my experience with Big Bear is referring back to a time where you know you're, you don't have the the social filters that you have when you become an adult. I I can't even imagine. Oh, I, so what was the mascot? Oh, it was a, a phoenix. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess people could. Do stuff with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you pluralize it, it becomes really close to the other word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and kids are kids are creative, if nothing else. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm I'm interested in how that informed your decisions later. So you mentioned becoming a Christian at 17. Then you mentioned again. Um, you mentioned going into the military at 2425 did any of that inform those decisions 
to, you know, embrace Christianity at that age and then go into the military? What happened between 17 and 24? Um, yeah. Uh, well, when when I became a Christian, it was um, for a very uh, specific, not to get too, you know, spiritual or, or whatever, um, unless you don't mind. No, just but so you I, know, we do spiritual here, so it's fine. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just, I was, I, I had, there were several things that led me into being a Christian, but I, I guess the most profound one was, um, I was, you know, I was smoking a lot of pot, I was drinking a lot, and, um, you know, I was, I was only 17, so I, I had met this guy who, um, who was a Christian, but he wasn't like, um, like an evangelical, like, hey, I'm in your face about it. He just was a Christian. And I didn't even know mm-hmm. it for a long time when I first met him. And I, I saw he had these dog tags, and they said Roman Catholic on it. And I said, are, are you Roman Catholic? And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. But, you know, I was, my family was, and at the time, I, I guess I wasn't. And uh, I was like, well, why are you, why are you Christian? Because I always consider him this really, like, really smart guy. He, he actually works for, or worked for IBM doing some kind of coding and now live, now he lives in South Korea at some major tech firm. And mm. um, yeah, no, the guy's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, and gave me this, uh, this piece of four page piece of paper that was just this essay about, you know, what Christianity is. And uh, so I, I read it and I didn't really, and I was like, okay, whatever. And, um, but through his example, I, I really wanted to like, quit become sober because this guy he lived a sober life and so I wanted to also kind of like I was I was trying to emulate him and it was like also part of that search for like that father figure um Mm -hmm. even though he was only maybe 10 years older than me and he he, as I was trying to do that I was probably like a week into like sobriety when um and I had been starting and stopping for several months and I was like a full strong week of like not doing anything when, um, I was at a party and I ended up, you know, um, it was through a certain chain of events with my boss needing to talk to this client and he was giving me a ride home and then he left me there. And it turned out that he was a major meth user. And, oh, uh, wow. yeah, one of the people that like, he was giving a, he was giving two of us a ride home, and the other guy was like, "Dude, after he had left the party, he's like, dude, our boss isn't coming back.'" I was like, "What? How do you know?" He's like, "Dude, he's probably going to go sleep for a few days. That guy's been up for weeks." And I was like, "Oh man, you got oh, kidding no. me." So I just got stuck at this party, and you know, everybody there was really cool. It was a bunch of uh, snowboarders and uh, workers from Brazil, and uh, so they they were all pretty cool, and they invited me to drink and. So I did, and then I, I, I walked home feeling just really disappointed in myself. And uh, I I really I was really disappointed, and I was crying, and I I cried out to to God, and I gave I gave in that moment I really cried out to God in a way that I had never done in my life. I had I'd had dreams about like um, these like I had I had a dream when I was like 16 of a nuclear bomb. Uh, coming over the beach, and I, uh, I started praying to Jesus to like 
saved my life. And I woke up thinking, man, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> like, cause I was really not, I was not into Christianity. I was, I, I was really disappointed in myself in that moment too. But, uh, so when I, so after drinking that night, I, I go home and I'm crying. And on the way I really, I literally like fell on my knees and I was like crying out to God, like, who are you? You know, who, who are you? And, um, I didn't, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, magical or miraculous happened in that moment. But I really asked God, you know, if if you're this, if you're the Buddhist, or if you're, you know, Muhammad, or if you're just supreme being, or if you're Jesus Christ, or whoever, you know, I just want to know. And um, it was just within within weeks after that, just people in my life that I had known for um, years were just coming out of nowhere and talking to me of, about Jesus. And so I was like, well, I can keep wow. ignoring that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I actually ended up reading that paper that that friend, that one guy that I had really looked up to, the paper that he gave me, I, re- I reread it, and it just it clicked. It clicked for me, and um, that's how I became a Christian. So from those after that, you know, it's not like I never drank again or even you know smoked a, a little weed here and there but i um i've tried to avoid it and i've certainly done better and for a few years after that i didn't even look at the stuff but um i i had moved up to sacramento for like a couple of years and so my life was still i i feel like god has really been pulling me out of this like constant state of turmoil that i you know kind of inherited into mm-hmm. a place where he's um, he like he is like my stabilization, um, mm-hmm. and um, even though I, I still you know make some choices that are, I, I don't always make the right choices, but um, from who I was to who I am now, I've, I've certainly tr- hopefully have treated people with more kindness and been more stable in my own pursuits. But when it, so when I decided to join the army. It was actually uh, after a, a brief period of me living in Sacramento. After, so my dad passed away when I was 20. Um, that's a big part of the story. Um, and we, we were kind of on good terms. But um, when, when he passed away, my brother, who lived in Sacramento, decided, like, hey, man, if you need a place to stay or if you want to come up here. And I think he tried to fulfill that role that he was kind of also lacking growing up and he, he kind of offered it to me like uh, a stable place and, you know, some kind of structure. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't work out that well. I remember even be- far before that when I was in high school for that short time that I lived with my dad, one of the first things he said was like, okay, well, you're going to have to be home by like nine thirty or something. Uh, <laughs> I looked at him and I just laughed. I was like, "No, <laughs> like what? How about how about like midnight, two o'clock in the morning?" He's like, "How about ten o'clock?" I'll, you know, because he's trying to work with me. And uh-huh. uh, then, you know, I, I repeated the same pattern of behavior though. I wouldn't show up for days, and uh, eventually, it just it didn't work out between us. And he sent me right back up to Big Bear, which leads into some really in, intense stories. But um, to get back to your question. Um, so those in, interim years before I decided to join the army, I was um, really trying to, I think, you know, 
becoming a Christian and seeing that, you know, that that was something that I, I was missing, I kind of misplaced what the thing that I was missing was. You know, I I thought, right. okay, what I need is structure and discipline and um, that, because that's what dads provide, you know, that's, um, you know, that's what I was thinking when I was 20 years old. It's like, if I had had a dad, I would have had discipline. I would have had structure. And um, I, I was working at a um, international house of pancakes uh, <laughs> when I was 23 and I was a manager up in Big Bear. And um, I, a friend of mine came in wearing an army uniform. He's like, well, why don't you think about joining the army? You, you'll get a bunch of money for college. And, and I was like, well, I don't really want, like, I don't want to do that. Um, I had thought about joining when I was younger, but I, I hadn't thought about it for years. Um, so I, um, when when he suggested it to me, I thought, okay, well, you know, I can maybe I can get out of this town, and I I do need discipline. I need discipline in my life because that's what I'm I've been lacking. Um, and so I I joined for those reasons. But right before I joined, the real the real kicker for me was um, I was working one day at IHOP, and I. I just remember there was a, a lady who worked there and she was really nice. Her name was Angel and she was probably like 40 to 50 years old and she was still waiting tables. And I just remember I had this vision of my future and it was me being 50, you know, waiting tables or um, maybe even being the owner of a an IHOP one day. And I was like, that's not what I want at all. Like, I don't want that for my life. I mean, being a restaurant owner would not be a bad life. And not to, like, disregard anybody that does that because you make a lot of money as a waitress and money's not what it's all about anyway. But I just, I felt like that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I I was always this gifted person and I'm I'm just, you know, biding my time. Even at IHOP, half the books that are, half the poems that are in that selected poems um, book are from me writing on the back of receipts, writing different <laughs> poems and stuff. <laughs> that's that's so cool. awesome. Yeah, that's where my mind was, and um, yeah, so so it was after that kind of seeing myself like not really achieving what I wanted, and placing myself in, in another person's shoes, and, and thinking those aren't those aren't my shoes. Um, I decided to to join the army. And looking for a structure, but also hoping for a future. And I think that's also kind of where Christianity kind of comes into that choice is that it's, it wasn't just that, um, you know, like, yeah, I, I need discipline. I need stability, but I also need like an actual um, way by which I can have a future, you know, and, and maybe that's too much of me trying to make it happen. Um but, uh, yeah, those are a lot of the reasons why I joined. What do you mean by too much of you trying to make it happen? Um, that's probably, I'm probably just saying that because I've, I'm, with uh, being in, studying theology and ethics, I just have a, um, a, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, context surrounding 
that statement from, uh, you know, we, I think there's two main camps in, in, in the way people understand God. And um, one of them is like, God blesses, God helps those who help themselves. And then there's like the other camp that it's like, it's all, it's all grace. And you just got to kind of let Jesus take the wheel. And um, Mm. so I find myself much like the title of your show, uh, somewhere in the middle. And and I, I, I think that it, it it has to be uh, grace, but I also think God has given us a great license to, um, to move and act in in our own way. And uh, I was just reading a, a section from um, a really good book by John Sanders called um, God, the God, the risk, something about God taking risks. And um, he, he brings up the story of Abraham and how there's Abraham, God promises Abraham all these descendants and blessings. And um, so Abraham tries to fulfill it through Hagar and he gives uh, she gives birth to Ishmael, but God says, well, I'm going to bless Ishmael a lot because he's your son, but that's not who I'm talking about. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to have a kid through Sarah, but so through Abraham's effort, God still blesses Ishmael. God doesn't say, oh, well, Ishmael is just this accursed kid that you're not going to have, you know, he's, God's like, no, 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 he's your kid. That's awesome. He's going to have a bunch of descendants, um, but that's not who I was talking about. And so, mm-hmm. through the strength of through Abraham's own planning, God still blessed it. But uh, you know, I just wonder, like for my own life, like, okay, God still blessed my my uh, entrance into the military, um, but I, I think, um, and that's sound too analytical about this because it was really emotional at the time. But you know, I lost a lot of. I lost a lot through that as well that I don't, I don't necessarily, and, but I, I learned a lot. So from losing uh, friends and maybe a certain sense of um, even who I was, because there's such a strong force of like, you are a U.S. soldier while you're in the army. Right. You know, and my, and I've never really identified with that, even though I'm, I'm grateful for, the disciplines that it taught me, um, uh, people that, you know, put themselves in harm's way for me and the opportunities that I had to, to help, um, uh, people in Iraq, um, that I had firsthand experience with, um, some of the local nationals and the interpreters. And, um, so I'm grateful for all those experiences, but, uh, the, the, the price, the cost is uh, greater than maybe God could have still, I mean, God would have still blessed my path if had I chosen a, another route. Um, and and also, you know, I, I think me choosing that was also really, really based on not understanding what that um, that that role of a, a dad plays and, and seeing it only as, you know, the only thing I'm, you know, in my mind, the only thing I'm lacking is discipline and um, structure. But, you know, now being much older, uh, I, I realize that dads provide a lot more than just that. 
Um, and and that, that kind of stuff I can only find in, um, in, in community and, and not necessarily in, in the Army. Well, I'm going to, you know, I, I think I tend to be where you are with regard to how, how God works in our lives. I mean, I think there is a certain amount of we get to choose, you know, hence that whole free will thing. Uh, <laughs> we get to choose a lot, but uh, sometimes we don't know what we want. And so it's hard for God to give us what we want because we don't really know what we want. And so we Mm -hmm. wander around in the proverbial desert for a while until we figure out what it is that we want. And then God's like, okay, finally, you came up with a plan. Here you go. (laughs) And he helps us out. (laughs) That's kind of, yeah, a loosey-goosey interpretation of how I think things tend to go. And when you said that people started talking to you about Jesus after you've asked God, who are you? And then all of a sudden all these people were talking to you. That is so, to me, that's the epitome of a modern day miracle because I believe without a shadow of a doubt, I just believe this, that people will come and tell you things. They will be speaking in the spirit. They won't even know. They'll just come and tell you exactly what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is at that moment, you will hear it because God or your guardian angels or spirit or whoever it is that you believe in sent that message to you at that time. And I've had it happen to me on more than one occasion. So uh, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. He had the audacity to ask God. And God said, okay, sure, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> if you don't, you know. So I think I, I love that. Um I wonder, you know, because you know, my dad left when I was 10. I do think that men bring something different to parenting. I, you know, I watched it with my daughters when I was, I was married, um, my first marriage, 11 years. And I watch the way that their dad interacts with them. And it's very different from the way a mom interacts. And in some ways, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Mom actually ends up having to be the mean person a lot of times on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. And dad gets to be um, Mr. Fun Dad, the fun guy, the laid-back guy. But there is some truth, I think, to if a man says something to a child, it's taken differently. So I could say, go clean your room, but if – my ex-husband would say, go clean your room. It had a totally different weight, a totally different gravity. And folks yeah. would, you know, get up and do a little bit more quickly, a little a little more readily. Although, to be fair, I like to think that I've done a good job of being the alpha in my house. <laughs> so, yeah, <okay>. so, they, <laughs> yeah. so they've listened yeah, pretty well to me. But there's yeah, a difference, right? There is, there's something different that men bring is what I, you know, that's the way I feel about it. I think you're right. I mean, I don't, and that's the thing. I think that's kind of the struggle for me is that I think, I think they, it, it just, they have to. And, and I think that's just one of the big mysteries of my life is like, what, what is it? Cause I haven't really seen it, you know, except for through, through a, a lens or, you know, from the other side of the glass as I'm looking into, you know, some other family, 
Yeah, and I I should probably explore that more in my writing, but it it's it's uh it's definitely there. It's and I but I think I think when I was younger it, it came out in my inability to um stabilize relationships. And now mm-hmm. it comes out in more and kind of um you know, now when I think about my dad because he passed away at at such a young age, uh I I kind of think man, you know, I w- I just wish you had seen me get better, you know. Mm. I was, I was a, yeah, I was a crazy kid. I was a crazy kid. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say this. I think crazy kids grow up to be good adults in a lot of ways because you you teach yourself a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have learned if you had somebody watching over everything you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? There's a depth of character there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's an argument that the way that we parent our kids now is, you know, this helicopter helicopter parenting they talk about is actually to the detriment of our kids because they don't learn how to take care of themselves. Not that I would wish anybody, uh, anybody's kids learn how to take care of themselves the way that I did or the way that you did uh, necessarily. But, and, and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so things were even more loosey-goosey, I'm going to say, when I was coming up in the 70s and 80s where uh, I think Jerry Seinfeld made a joke about uh, they didn't. We didn't wear seatbelts. We were we were either flying through windshields or you know some craziness like that. I mean, life was just you know um, a lot less protected back then, even for kids. And we we would go off for you know hours and hours at a time. I couldn't go off for days at a time. My mom would have wrung my neck. But you know we'd leave in the morning and be gone until whenever we got back that night. And that's just how. You know, in the in the interim, you were doing things you probably had no business doing. Everything from, yes, you were probably over there by the canal doing something. We had a canal in our neighborhood. Oh, yeah, or you were going all over the city doing whatever. We had a lot more freedom than kids have now. I actually lament that for my kids. I feel like they don't have the the room to to explore and learn their limits in the same way. You know, because I think there's some value to that. Yeah, what I heard somebody also on the radio, they were saying how how it used to be your parents have to call you in from being outside all the time. <laughs> now it's like they're just trying to get the kid outside at all, you know. Go Dude, explore the world. Yeah. When I, I bought my house, um, when I bought my house in Georgia, I was like, oh, this is great. It's got a big backyard. It's got a nice front yard. The kids can come out and play. My kids didn't go out and play, but maybe twice in the 11 years that we lived in that house. I was like, why did I buy a house? Why? <laughs> I wanted to give you guys a yard. And y'all have woods next door. Y'all could run through. They were like, we're not trying to do that. trying to do that. Like, no, we're not trying to leave this air conditioning and cable. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Hey, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask (laughs) you if you'd do me a favor and read one of your pieces. So I was reading um, Best to Forget. And you have, first of all, this is a lovely book. It's got the poems and it's got the artwork in the middle. It looks like you're doing charcoal work in this one. Is that what I'm looking at? 
Yeah. Because I'm looking at a PDF. Most of it is. Which, that's cool. That's the only drawing I ever tried to do. I'm not much of a of an artist per se, but I did. Um, first of all, I love free. Just so you know, that particular piece oh. I really like. Yeah, that that one really has some uh, interesting undertones in it. Well, it looks like a woman's legs, but it also looks like mountains. I and you know, I get. Yeah, I think I told you this. Because you totally caught it. That's it. Did I? Yeah, the the mountain range is it's it's a it's a full it's a woman, but I hear yeah. In the yeah, I took the only recognizable part should be the legs, but like the rest of it, it even then I tried to still make it a mountain range, but I, yeah, the, the whole the whole thing is it's the the lower I, I drew the woman first and then I covered it as as a the mountain and the thing that I really kind of really strikes is probably what I've been talking about the whole time is that the, the door um, there, but there's no, there's no wall. It's, there's just, it's just there um, as, as a, a barricade without any real strength to it because there's, it's not stopping anything really. It's just, uh, I, I don't know. You kind of you, you you see what I mean? Yeah, but is it? I I didn't take it as a barricade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just so if no, you if you're curious about how somebody else might look, I took it as a a a, a doorway, um, almost like an invitation to freedom. Um, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Oh my! But no, that's the way no, I took no, it. Was like it. no, you got it. I mean that's that's. Uh, that, yeah, that's that's fine. That's a great interpretation. I think it's fabulous. That's my favorite piece. Um, <laughs> that's an aside. As I'm flipping through to get to the poem, I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind to read. And it's okay. because I don't know that I would read it properly. Cause, okay. um, so there were a couple of... There are a couple of these, actually. So the ones toward the end in particular, I'm interested in. So first contact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you you mind reading that one for me and then telling me what you you had in mind? Sure. Yeah. Um, So I'll just start? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, first, first contact. Shame and nakedness. Deep in the Amazon, the lost tribes want food and clothing. The anthropologist concludes they are human after all, happy when fed, comforted when clothed. They are naked in the Amazon. My sense of self-loathing reaches the breaking point. I run around naked inside my home. My sense of dignity depends upon my clothes and the buildings that surround me. They are an identity, my identity. I loathe them as extensions of myself. We are all in the Amazon, pretending like we are clothed. As indifference grows upon indifference, shedding love is something significant. Buried under currents of electricity, we hide our shame together. The Marriott has a water fountain in California's internal summer. It's running for me, and it's running for the hurried young woman with her sugar daddy slinking into his Lexus at 5 o'clock in the morning. 
So you start with these lost tribes, and you say they yeah. want food and clothing, and the anthropologist concludes that they're human after all because of that. But my question when I read it was, did they want it, or were they just curious about what he what he had? <laughs> well, uh, well, actually, this um, the reason I wrote this uh, part and where it all kind of comes from is um, the the title itself is actually a documentary um, called First Contact, mm. and I just finished watching it. And um, they, there's a doctor, and and I, I find it fascinating that people are so often, um, they they tend to romanticize um, like tribal living, at least like the Amazonian way. Um, mm-hmm. They tend to like romanticize it, like they don't want civilization, they don't want you know, um, we we do it in the in the films and. Um, like uh, what is it? What is that one? It was a really good movie, and I think there's a lot to be said for not producing too much or, or you know, for progress to happen too quickly in, in any sense. But um, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for that. But what happened with this documentary is, as he was talking to the, these native people of the uh, South American area, um, when they asked um, about him coming in with clothing and for, the guy said, "You know, we were we were really ashamed of ourselves when we saw them with clothing, and um, and we were out here, you know, naked. And they 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 had avoided the the doctor and all the settlements for so long because it was it was fear that they were coming to kill them. At least from this one tribe's perspective." And um, so it was this, you know, it kind of like made me think it, like that whole, although it might still be true for maybe some people uh, in, in those tribes, like for the most part, or um, at least for this tribe, not for the most part, at least for this group of people, they were all, the only reason why they hadn't um, adapted clothing and things like that into their life was because they were just afraid that um, the the people moving into the area were going to kill them off and uh, destroy wow. their yeah destroy their uh, community not not necessarily their their culture and because um, there I'm sure there's still cultural things that you know that would, that would probably be a totally different discussion but um, culturally I think there's um, we need to honor our, our heritages and um, and for them as they move into modern society, um, they they probably will carry traditions on for for ages to come of you know to remember um, who they were as a people in the Amazonian jungle, but the there's like this romanticized myth about it being like oh you know they they want to you know run around and hunt and try to feed themselves um, off the land. And they were starving out there because they'd have to hunt and try to live off the land. And, you know, nature is, uh, is rather cruel towards, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, towards life. You know, it's, it's, it's survival of the fittest. And uh, they, they had, um, at least from the, the interview, 
they seemed like they had no desire to continue living that way. They much more preferred agricultural uh, living where, you know, they were able to purchase food and have a guaranteed food supply with clothing. And I just thought it's silly because so many people in Los Angeles, when you're in this concrete jungle, you know, they, they, they tend to um, uh, make it seem like, uh, oh, no, no, that, that, that's a better way of, of living. We should try to get back to that when, and <laughs> when at least for this group, it, it wasn't like that at all. Well, you know what? When you say that, it makes me wonder, though, because then, of course, okay, back to stories uh, of Christianity and Adam and Eve. They were naked. Everything was cool until they ate a fruit. But it's almost like the same thing. Until they saw people with clothes, they didn't. They probably weren't thinking, wow, we really need to get clothes. Otherwise, they would have done it, right? Yeah. So the the question works. is, how much does that outside influence actually cause the shame and the fear? Well, I think that's well. I think the fear comes naturally from a, a preservation instinct. Yeah. Um, but the shame, yeah, I think is totally manufactured, and um, and that's also kind of where I that where the poem heads into that direction of like, wait, didn't I romanticize that whole idea? You know, mm. don't I don't don't I know that biblical account? where, you know, Adam Adam and Eve were naked. And when I, um, I don't actually run around naked in my house. <laughs> like we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be upset with you if you did. It's your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, you know, it's, uh, there's a, a sense of like, we take pride in the clothing that we put on and our, the way that we present ourselves. But really underneath it all, we're just these, you know, we're just these creatures running around trying to show how, how nice we can look, you know, but we're all, you know, you strip away all the clothing and you're, you know, you're just, uh, you're just a body. And what matters more is, you know, who you are inside of that body is kind of what I'm trying to head toward. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's, that's where, you know, that's where I kind of say like, we're, we're all in the Amazon pretending like we're clothed. Um, as indifference grows upon indifference, and that leads back to what we were even saying, um, you know, technology is so pervasive, and we we want to, you know, love other people, yet we're all kind of involved with our own little world of uh, whether it be like the computer or the our cell phones or um, whatever, you know, like like love is something that I can express through Facebook by liking your status. And that, I don't think that's, you know, I don't know if that's love. I don't think it is. I'm not sure. Maybe it is a little bit. Um, and then, I'll and call then it appreciation. Of, I'll call it appreciation rather than love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's good to appreciate other people. Um, I'm not so great at the whole social media thing, but I, I was, I was pretty into it, and then I just kind of. I don't know. I couldn't handle it anymore. I just, I wanted to have more, I want to have more real and personal connections, but um, yeah. Well, that's why I personally like live events, you know, for, you know, whether I'm promoting a book or, or, you know, speaking or, or what have you. That's why I like live events because you do get that 
you know, person-to-person connection. You get to ask people questions. They can ask you questions. You get to learn about them. They get to learn about you at a much deeper level than you can on social media, in my opinion. So I'm right there mm-hmm. with you, Will. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I, I just don't get it. I would, yeah, live events are so much so much more interesting. I mean, it's cool to watch a concert on TV or something, but when you're actually at the concert without your phone taking a video. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such a great experience. Totally different, yeah. And I, so I left the house without my cell phone the other day, just completely forgot it on my desk. And I was like, wow, I'm going old school. I don't even know what to do with myself here. Yeah, I felt completely discombobulated because I had, you know, but it was good. It's liberating to do that from time mm-hmm. to time. You know, to, I'm not saying that you want to trek across the country without your mobile, but you know, I was running out to the post office. I left the phone on the desk, and it cha- it changes the way you think about what you're doing. It changes the way you interact with people while you're doing it. Yeah, did, you know, I, the times where that has happened to me, it it sparks this memory of you know having to do that all before the smartphone, and yep. it 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 makes me like more confident in my ability to get it done. Like, yeah. Oh, well, hey, I don't need it. I can do whatever I need to do. Um, yeah, that's so, so funny. Yeah, because we used to go to the post office without, our, without a phone glued yeah. to, our, <laughs> to our hands. So, yeah, that was that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Well. That's, that's funny. Well, well, we actually, we've gone over an hour, and I promised you that we would try and keep this close to an hour. So um, what do you have going on that you want our listeners to know about? Um, I Well, I have um, a few things that I guess if I was going to uh, promote. Um, I have uh, a WordPress that I try to update weekly. Um, I've been a little off on that, but it's, uh, it's I have a WordPress. It's W, no, I'm sorry. It's Wiryamu, right? So that's weird, but um, I, I say again. Was involved. <laughs> yes, it's it's my name in Japanese. Oh, um, okay. How is that spelled? Um, it's U I R A M U. Mhm. Dot WordPress dot com. Okay. So I, I have that, and then um, I also make music. Um, so if anybody has a SoundCloud, they can go to quit like stop like uh quit progression and that's my music um and then and then if you live in the uh Claire, no Claremont area I do open mic events uh first and third Tuesdays at the DBA 256 and then there's there's another place on Thursdays but I don't I don't remember the name of it so I'll have to Well, you have to send that information to me so that we can we can post it for people, okay? Okay, I'll do that. Awesome. And where can they find you on? I, I know you said you don't do a lot of social media, but do you do Facebook or Instagram or or anything like that? Oh, um, yeah, Facebook. Um, I'm on there as William Carroll. Um, there's a big picture of me there, wearing glasses that I don't actually need. And then, 
and then Instagram. Um, I just changed my name, so it's William Carroll, but there's like an underscore at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of it. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So William Carroll with underscore beginning, middle, and end on Instagram, mm-hmm. and just William Carroll on Facebook. Yes. And awesome. then you can see my art and my writing. It's all there. Cool. And they can get your books on Amazon? Yeah. Awesome. Amazon. And you can get you can get the the uh, best to forget is comes as a hard uh not hard paperback and the Kindle and then the uh selected poems is just on Kindle. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I really appreciate well, you taking you so the time. Much for having me. Yeah, it was this really, has been I'm fun. Really <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate you having me here. It was really great, and it's such a generous offer. And uh, you, you're awesome. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. And I want to grab a coffee. So looks, you know, we need to connect for coffee, you know, in the next week okay, or so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, email me anytime, and we'll we can get together. Awesome, awesome. So, guys, that is our show this week. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. You know, I love to hear from you. Feel free to send some topics or some guests you'd like us to have on the show. Um, again, a big shout out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and with that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on February 23rd when my guest will be author and civil rights activist Geraldine Hollis. And you can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good. Stay mindful. Remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all. 